0: Welcome to the Cybersecurity Readiness podcast series with Dr. Dave Chatterjee. Dr. Chatterjee is the author of Cybersecurity Readiness, a Holistic and High-Performance Approach, a recently published book by Sage Publishing. He has been studying cybersecurity for over a decade, authored and edited scholarly papers, delivered talks, conducted webinars and shops, consulted with companies, and served on a cybersecurity SWAT team with Chief Information Security Officers. Dr. Chatterjee is an Associate Professor of Management Information Systems at the Terry College of Business, the University of Georgia, and Visiting Professor at Duke University's Pratt School of Engineering.
1: Hello, everyone. I'd like to welcome you to our podcast episode today titled Cybersecurity Risk Reduction Tips for small and medium enterprises. I'm delighted to welcome our guest this afternoon, Mike Benz. Mike is an interim and fractional chief information officer with Fortune Partners. Mike has worked in almost every role in information technology across a dozen industries across four decades. He recently completed two master's degrees in cybersecurity and the management of technology at the University of Minnesota, Mike is often called in to help small and medium-sized businesses to evaluate their cybersecurity risk exposure and make recommendations for reducing their risk of future incidents. It's truly a pleasure to welcome Mike Benz to the show this afternoon. Mike, welcome and. Uh, Before I get you to respond to all these questions I have and I'm sure listeners will agree to these kinds of questions, let's set the uh, context for our discussion this afternoon. And these are kind of concerning stats. It's based off the 2020 Fundera report. uh, Which states that 43% of cyber attacks target small businesses. 60% 60% of small businesses that are victims of a cyber attack go out of business within six months. 47% of small businesses have no understanding of how to protect themselves against cyber attacks. Mike, your thoughts, is that, how, is that what you experience when you're talking to these small and medium-sized firms about their cyber needs?
2: Yes, it is, and it's really sad because business owners are responsible to keep their business uh, safe and ongoing and uh, growing, and this is something that creates uh, a diversion from running the business, and the business owner's lack of understanding of this and lack of resources puts them at a uniquely vulnerable spot.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's absolutely. And, 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 and Mike, there are so many things that one has to remind any organization to do from the standpoint of cybersecurity governance. Are there anything specific in terms of action items that you would recommend for small and medium enterprises?
2: Sure. Um, let me point out that small and medium sized businesses, they face the same cybersecurity issues as large enterprises but they don't necessarily have the resources to effectively manage those risks. Uh, In context here, these medium-sized businesses often serve as vendors, contractors, and partners of larger organizations, and everybody is digitally connected. And cyber attackers use these small to medium-sized enterprises as gateways to hack into the systems of larger organizations. Um, There are some real basic things that, that you as a small or medium-sized business uh, participant owner uh, could do. And it starts out with figuring out who's responsible for this in your organization. Many times people think, what's the IT folks who are responsible for that? But IT may not have expertise in this. Maybe it's your auditor or your accountant or your operations people who uh, would be best responsible for this, but somebody needs to if yeah if nobody's responsible or if everyone's responsible, then it doesn't get
1: Right, right very, very true. Um, and talking about responsibility, don't you think that it also relates to prioritizing what needs to be protected from a uh, resource standpoint you it's not you know you no organization really has enough resources to protect everything, especially small and medium-sized enterprises?
2: Yes, what I would uh, try to figure out first is depending on your business, what can't you afford to lose? If you're a factory, the factory needs to keep running. If you're a trucking company, the trucks need to keep rolling. If you run a web customer-facing website and people buy things over your website, that website needs to be running all the time. There are some other back-office things like payroll or general ledger that maybe could be down for a while or could be, aren't, aren't the number one priority of your business.
1: And uh, what about determining what should be the risk tolerance level for such organizations? How do you go about doing that?
2: Uh, again, thinking about if computer systems control employees. Important parts of your business, how long could that system be offline and the business would continue? If this particular system is only used once a month, well, the, they have a pretty high tolerance for an outage in that system. But in the case of uh, a business that's conducting every single transaction, like a stock brokerage firm or a bank, their risk tolerance for that part of the business would be extremely low. They have no tolerance for any outages whatsoever. As businesses become more and more dependent on technology, businesses that you would have originally thought decades ago could live without computer systems, you now, when you examine your business, find that they may not be, able. you may not be able to withstand an outage of any duration
1: at all. Coming at it from the standpoint of creating a culture of security awareness. Uh, you know, As you know that any organization can invest in tools, can invest in employees, employee training, but then there is turnover and people are gonna leave, you're gonna get new people in. So to be able to maintain continuity from the standpoint of cybersecurity governance at a high level. How do you get that culture going, where everybody has a sense of responsibility, they recognize that cybersecurity is everyone's business, they take pride in their organizational assets? How do you create that kind of a culture of commitment, preparedness, and discipline?
2: I've been in a number of organizations that put on cybersecurity training classes. They bring in somebody from outside. And it usually starts with the presenter being sort of an auditor. And they attempt to break into the business, either trying to get past the receptionist at the front door and get into the wiring closet where the telephone equipment is, or they try to break in from the outside. They make telephone calls to the accounts payable clerk and try to get some bank routing numbers changed. So, Often these classes start out with a story about how the presenter as a would-be white hat hacker was able to break into this business without any trouble. And it kind of scares the pants off of the crowd thinking, wow, I, I needed this job. I needed this company to survive. I need a place to go to work every day and get a paycheck every month. And if my company gets hacked, or I as an individual get hacked because my direct deposit information is in the company's payroll system, somebody can drain my checking account, which I don't know about you, but in my household, if my checking account was a zero, my mortgage check banks, and uh, my spouse is not happy with, uh, with the, the implications of that. So training, I think, is really important.
1: You know, another uh, very important Area of vulnerability in many organizations is their ability to effectively monitor their systems. And that's that's one thing. And one is to monitor, the other is to respond to the intelligence that they receive, whether it comes automatically from the tools or whether it's a third party service provider providing them with that intelligence. Now, as we have mentioned earlier, small and medium sized enterprises are resource constrained. How? What kind of recommendation do you have for them when it comes to monitoring their systems?
2: I have worked with a number of small and medium-sized organizations who realize that they don't have staff to monitor this 24 hours a day. And even if they did have a staff, those people can't be looking at every single thing that happens and noticing because they're flying through at the speed of light. There are many low-cost activity monitoring services that alert the security personnel, typically IT, if something is happening that's outside the expected parameters. Maybe somebody's logging in from an unusual geography, or trying repeatedly to guess a password, or something differently than they used to do. We, have, the organization I'm working with, now has a couple people in the Caribbean and a guy in Eastern Europe. And I'm, as soon as they turned the system on, I was part of the IT group as, a, as an interim IT leader. And I got a note that somebody's trying to log in from Bosnia Herzegovina, is this okay? And until an administrator says, oh yeah, that's Bob. We, he's, he's our guy, uh, he can't get in. So uh, the other thing is it may be that I log in every day from my Midwestern city. And the next time I log in, I'm in Florida. Maybe the system is sensitive enough to say, what's going on here? Is this, is this really the right guy? And it may create a little bit of a halt in the system. And these, uh, these kind of monitoring systems are paid by the month, and it might be a couple hundred dollars a month for this kind of uh, a
1: service. So essentially, there is help out there for not a whole lot of money that people can yes, or yes. that the organizations can and- leverage.
2: Fortune 500 companies, Fortune 100 companies have lots of resources, lots of people, mm-hmm. and uh, that they uh, come up with solutions that are sophisticated and complicated and probably overkill for most small and medium-sized businesses.
1: Fantastic, good to hear, very reassuring. Now. Um, I want to go back to a very basic question, and this applies to any organization. Let's discuss it in the context of small and medium-sized enterprises. We're talking about maintaining an incident response and business continuity plan. But to be able to create such a plan, one needs to have a sense of what kinds of threats the organization is likely to face. And that's a very difficult question to answer. What Again, what advice do you have for these smaller organizations? How should they plan for potential attacks?
2: I think it would be valuable for the leaders of the different functions of the business to sit down, maybe facilitated by somebody who's a good facilitator, and try to determine what could go wrong and how you would necessarily respond if it didn't. And businesses may have this already if there's a a fire or in the case of a pandemic, what would we do if people couldn't come into the office for, for a week, a month, uh, who would have predicted six months or 18 months? And for each of those identifiable events, how would we react to it? And you, it would then you'd start to think about uh, who would have what role in reacting. Somebody senses that there's a problem, somebody communicates to everybody that there's a problem, then there's a decision-making process about what do we do? What do we communicate to our employees and to our customers? Do we close the building? Do we have a backup computer system? Do we work on pencil and paper? And plan in advance what you would do if any one of these things happened. Uh, In the case of a building burning down, you know, uh, that was the biggest risk you had decades ago what was the plan? Did people come to a temporary office? Did they that uh, come to work at all? Did the business shut down? Today, the solution for many of these things could be that they work from home. But if the risk that we're trying to work around is computer systems being locked up by a hacker, then what do we do? Uh, if If people are already working from home and they can't get into the system, How do you run the business without that? So planning is big, communication, reacting to uh, a particular incident and putting together this plan and actually rehearsing it. uh, Perhaps as much as as quarterly, Let's, let's have a dry run here to see how we would react to this and see if we've forgotten anything. You look at emergency providers and responders like fire departments and police departments. They know exactly how to handle when somebody's got a problem. They, they they practice it all the time. I think that small and medium-sized enterprises should have a plan and practice that plan. Some help that you might be able to uh, uh, gain would be from a cyber insurance policy. Uh, excuse me, a cyber insurance company. And those companies are interested in reducing their risk and their cost. So they often have a plan that they could run you through to help you develop a plan, help you exercise that plan, point out weaknesses in it, so that when there was a problem, they would jump in, they could jump in and help you, and they would limit their liability because they don't want to see you fail any more than you do.
1: That's a very smart way of approaching it. I think it makes a lot of sense to get a insurance provider to assess your security capabilities and help you address the vulnerabilities as they they find in their evaluation. Uh, Talking about cybersecurity evaluation, Mike, you've developed a tool for small and medium enterprises. We co-authored a paper on that topic, which has been published in Business Horizons. I'd love for you to share whatever you feel like sharing in this medium about how that tool can help organizations assess their level of cybersecurity maturity.
2: Yes, certainly. We wanted to find out how medium-sized businesses, and this particular niche was in the commercial construction business, we wanted to find out where they stood in terms of their cybersecurity maturity. And construction was originally considered to be a, not a target for cybersecurity hackers. And since a lot of the activities that a construction company does, it did not involve computers, or they didn't. But today they do. Everything that a construction team is doing has got to do with schedules and communications. So we put together a a survey of IT leaders in this market niche and asked them three dozen questions. We said things, asked questions like, does anybody in your organization, uh, do you have anyone in your organization who is responsible for cybersecurity? Do you have an inventory of all the technology assets you own? And do you have a plan of responding to a cybersecurity incident? And what we did is compile those responses and put them into a report card. It was a two-page document that rated this organization in comparison to their peers on a dozen different measures. And we gave them, uh, we pointed out some places where they were substantially weaker in maturity than their peers and offered some suggestions for beefing up their level of security. Some were far ahead of the pack, some were below the pack. And what we found is that most organizations didn't need to hire a sophisticated consulting organization or an army of security engineers or spend a fortune on state-of-the-art defenses, but they really needed to uh, address cybersecurity in a fairly organized way. First of all, identifying what you had, uh, protecting what you had, And something that you wouldn't have thought about was detecting when you have a problem with a a facilities problem, like a fire or a tornado or a hurricane, you know when the building burned down. But when someone is uh, breaking into your computer systems, you don't necessarily know that they're there until funny things start to happen. So that detection is often missed. And as we talked earlier, the responding to that incident is often uh, a seat-of-the-pants response that hasn't been thought through, hasn't been rehearsed. And the final stage was how do you recover from this? Imagine if your accounting system were erased. How do you, how do you move forward from there? And I, I think it's worth companies thinking through that. And what we found with the IT leaders who participated in this, they found value in just those few recommendations for where they could get the most benefit with the least amount of effort, and benefit being increasing their level of maturity from mediocre to pretty good. It doesn't have to be excellent for most companies, but just bumping them up a couple notches and knowing where to direct their effort and their funding And it isn't necessarily always in the latest and the greatest tools you may read about in Business Week or the Wall Street Journal or some ad that popped up uh, on your
1: web browser. Yeah, I think there's tremendous value in such evaluation tools. Uh, As you know, in my book, I talk about or I provide cybersecurity readiness scorecards, which allows organizations to assess their information security culture along three dimensions, commitment, preparedness, and discipline. And I feel that such evaluation mechanisms gives organizations a sense of where they are and where they could be. It's never perfect, but something is better than nothing. Especially uh, senior management, whether it's large organizations or medium-sized or small, some level of awareness of where they are in terms of cybersecurity capabilities, cybersecurity competencies is extremely important. While relying on experts, external experts makes perfect sense, but that doesn't absolve management from not being well-versed, not being aware, because at the end of the day, they will still have to prove whoever, whether it's a court of law, whether it's the media, whether it's their shareholders, that they did everything they could to prevent an attack from happening. And despite their best efforts, it still happened. So the ability to engage in robust due diligence comes from a high level of awareness. And the high level of awareness should not be outsourced. It needs to be it it needs to be a multi-pronged approach where you leverage external expertise, but there also needs to be an intent to learn to become aware. Uh, From your experience of consulting with organizations of different sizes, and you yourself have been a senior uh, leader in a company for a long time, what does it take to get uh, the leadership committed to cybersecurity governance? How do you get them to recognize that they need to raise their level of awareness?
2: I think it could start with some of the shocking statistics that Dave uh, mentioned earlier. Um, And perhaps communications from peers, other people who are CEOs, business owners, CFOs, that this is a business problem. This isn't necessarily an IT problem. In the day, security was the domain of the IT people. And those were those strange people who were in the back room without any windows and who did things that we didn't understand, but we knew they were important. Uh, This is now a risk management, a risk mitigation problem, like any other problem that an executive has around the areas of finance, uh, injury, uh, product liability, uh, profit and loss. Uh, You have to control a lot of levers to keep your business running in the right direction. And to recognize that cybersecurity is another one of those things. And as Dave said, it can't be outsourced. It certainly shouldn't be outsourced just to some other third party organization. But business leaders can't outsource it to the IT department because the IT department, those folks, they don't really understand, in all cases, the lifeblood of the business. What is the most important thing that this business has how long could we go without cash flow? How long could we go without employees coming to work? Those are our business decisions that the business needs to uh, make weighing the costs and the benefits of different risk mitigation strategies. So I think I started by saying that there needs to be some frightening statistics, some reality from peers uh, who have said, "Oh." This happened to my business, and I couldn't sell anything for two weeks, and I almost went out of business. Or my accounting system was vaporized, and I had to rebuild. I had to rebuild my accounts receivable system from paper audit records of receipts, and that took me months to do. I think those are. Uh, in summary. Having business leaders on the business side recognize that cybersecurity is a business risk issue and not just an information technology issue is
1: key. Very, very profound, very wise. Thank you. That that is very helpful. And talking about uh, startling statistics, I shared a couple at the beginning of this podcast. There are a couple of more that I'd like to Um, go on record with, uh, this comes from the National Center for the Middle Market Survey, where they state 55% of SME companies lack either an up-to-date cybersecurity strategy or any defined cyber risk strategy at all. 50% of IT leaders say they don't know where to start to improve their security posture. These are concerning facts. And so there is definite need for a wake-up call, let's say. There's a definite need for doing whatever needs to be done. And in that context, I'd like to follow up on something you mentioned earlier. And I love the metaphor that you used about the fire departments being being ready for any kinds of incidents then why don't organizations also engage in some kind of information security drill? And I am aware that many companies have tabletop exercises, which is good. Something is better than nothing. But don't you think that they should go beyond tabletop exercises when it it comes to information security drills?
2: I think that participating in a, a broad and deep strategy is appropriate. Tabletop is is an exercise that can be helpful, but I think starting with an evaluation of where you are in terms of maturity, followed by how will we react to a problem, followed along by who's going to be responsible for that um, as a overall strategy is important, not just to have one piece of that. As as I was thinking about one piece, he asked a lot of small, medium-sized businesses, what are you going to do next to tighten up your security? Or you just had a security incident recently, what are you going to do? And the answer is usually some very tactical thing, like encrypt our databases, or require long, complicated passwords, or hire a policeman to stand at the door of our data center. But those are individual tactics that may not be part of an overall strategy that I think is needed, even if the overall strategy uh, is not something that takes six months to do. It is a broader strategy, and uh, it, if, if thought about, could be more complete and more effective.
1: Absolutely. It means, uh, you know, talking about a broader strategy. Once again, um, delving into my work and the the book that I've written, um, I came across 17 success factors, which which touches upon different different aspects of cybersecurity governance, starting with senior leadership commitment to creating a more holistic approach, cross-functional participation. And then there's this whole... um, set of activities that relates to preparedness from a technological standpoint. And then again, there are many other governance related uh, activities. So a lot of things have to be in place and have to have to be done well to effectively secure an organization. Um, so to, to get a grasp of all these different defense measures, and thereby create an effective what i like to call a defense in depth strategy having the right mix of technical controls administrative controls and and other forms of controls that takes a certain amount of training a certain amount of maturation it takes time but organizations need to engage in those exercises, needs to have regular reviews, and that's how they get better at it. Thoughts, Mike? Any thoughts?
2: Yes, I was thinking if, you, if I ran a small or medium-sized enterprise and I didn't necessarily have the resources to evaluate my cybersecurity risk maturity and I didn't really want to engage somebody right off the bat, I would assign somebody in my organization who's a can-do kind of a person, even if they were from operations or finance or manufacturing. And I'd say, uh, Sally, this is your job. I'm gonna give you a challenge. Let me assume you know nothing about this. I want you to dig into this for a couple of weeks and give me a recommendation about what we should do. Should we hire someone to do some training? Should we hire a consulting firm? Should we give this to IT and create a joint panel that's uh, the technology team as well as the business leadership team? Where do we go from here? Let somebody dig into it, knowing what they know about our business. Uh, I would fear if the first step that a business leader made would be to call an auditor or a company and say, uh, Here's a blank check. I need you to figure something out for me. They're going to Send you down the, the deluxe route and who know if that who knows if that's going to be the right route for you. So I would find somebody in my organization who was up for a challenge, not necessarily knowing anything about this, and have them dig into this for a while and create a plan to go forward to improve our cybersecurity maturity, knowing what they know about the business and learning what they need to know about that security,
1: and technology. Makes a lot of sense. A lot of sense. Uh, Mike, one more uh, area that I'd like you to delve into, and you touched upon this earlier. You talked uh, It's about uh, getting an insurance provider to help an organization assess their capabilities and do the needful to secure their shores. Uh, what advice do you have for organizations in terms of You know, identifying a reliable service provider. Many
2: companies uh, a couple of years ago started hearing from their insurance broker that cybersecurity incidents were not covered, like an act of war kind of a thing. And when business owners heard that, they said, well, we need to put a rider on the policy to get the coverage for that we need in case we get hacked. And as that threat grew and grew, the insurance carriers became more and more nervous about what their liability could be. And they started raising the prices of these things and hoping that nothing happened and excluding as many things as they could. I worked with uh, an outfit in Chicago. I think they're based in London. I worked with a company based in London that had an office in Chicago called CFC, I think it stood for click for coverage underwriting. Click for coverage underwriting. And they were marketed by Krauss Anderson Insurance in Minneapolis. And I was really impressed with their services. I went through a couple of their training seminars, and they had a, an offering of a policy they would sell that was based on your maturity and your willingness to improve your maturity before the policy went into effect. They had a team of people that if I, as a client, suspected something was going wrong with my systems, I would call this 800 number and they would jump onto it right away. They would have forensic investigators trying to figure out what's going on. They would have access to public relations people, employee relations people, and accountants and legal people to keep that risk to a minimum, to clean it up as quickly as they could, because it was in the interest of the insurance carrier to get this wrapped up as soon as possible. The longer it goes on, the more liability the uh, insurance company has. And I thought this was a great resource because the average business doesn't know what to do. The first thing you hear from your IT people is that looks like we were hacked and somebody wants a, a Bitcoin ransom pay. Where do you start? I mean, in the old days, did you go to the yellow pages, the phone book? How do you mm-hmm. find somebody who's going to help you at two o'clock in the morning on a Saturday? Uh, who do you have a relationship with? And I like the idea that CFC wanted to evaluate a potential client first, help them get their maturity up. a level of acceptable risk, and then work with them, monitor them, uh, rehearse with them what would happen when an incident would happen. And a lot of insurance carriers I'm hearing now will not insure many companies because of their experience in the past, their haphazard approach to security, their lack of interest in doing anything about it. Um, The insurance company doesn't want to cover you because they don't know what your liability is. If your business shuts down or you lose a million dollars worth of accounts receivable because the system got erased, that insurance company isn't going to want to insure you if they don't have some faith that you are protecting yourself against an incident.
1: Yeah, I I want to emphasize something that came through your response uh, regarding these insurance providers, uh, which is very important. And that is you have to help yourself so the insurance providers can help you. You can not be willing to make the changes. You have to make the commitment to achieve a higher level of preparedness act on the advice and recommendations uh, provided by the insurance providers yes. if you are not willing to do that then just trying to get them to stamp stamp or certify something that lets you get your you know get your immediate business goal that's not going to work that's not going to work yes You'd like to add anything to that or did I No, I, I think that's
2: right. I, I wanted to jump in and say something about the stamp that came mm-hmm. to mind is uh, mm-hmm. 10 years ago I worked for a firm and every year the CPA firm came in to do an audit. And they mm-hmm. would come to me as an IT executive and they'd ask me hundred questions and they would write the answers down and they would stamp it and say, We did our audit. I have no idea what the value of that was, but it made somebody feel good. I'm hoping that auditing firms do a better job, a more robust job of that now, because it's a it's a threat to the business just as any other threat like embezzlement or the, the things that auditors look for. The I, I think that just the rubber stamp is isn't something that helps me sleep at night. That's
1: it. That's it. Rubber stamp. You cannot take that approach. That's not gonna. Cut it. You have to be willing to learn and be willing to grow. And that's when external help is going to be useful. Uh, Mike, thank you so much for your time. That was very, very useful. If you have any final thoughts, this is the time.
2: One thought as it came, one thought as it relates to the audit from an outside third party, and that is many of the procedures that these firms exercise every year, are based on the way information technology worked 25 years ago. And that was the strategy Those in those days was you build a huge wall around your data center and you don't let anybody in or out unless they have the password. They, there was a tool called a firewall that kept people out. Well, in today's world, your computing assets and your computing power and your corporate information is everywhere. Your customers are everywhere. Your data is stored out in the cloud. Some of your data is stored on company PCs. Your customers access you through firewalls every day. Uh, Your world is no longer defensible and you are exposing yourself to many more risks than, your company was exposed to 25 years ago. So if an audit firm is still using the same processes to evaluate your risk that they were in the past, it doesn't make any sense anymore. Now, not to say that firms have not become more sophisticated in their appraisal of a company's cybersecurity maturity, but I think there is a slow reaction to a changing reality that may put you at risk if you're not looking or your audit firm is not looking at today's risk.
1: Well, thank you again, Mike, for your time and for your insights. I'm sure the listeners um, will find your advice very valuable. It was great having you.
2: Thank you for the opportunity.
1: A special thanks to Mike Benz for his time and insights. If you like what you heard, please leave the podcast a rating and share it with your network. Also, subscribe to the show so you don't miss any new episodes. Thank you for listening, and I'll see you in the next episode.
0: The information contained in this podcast is for general guidance only. The discussants assume no responsibility or liability for any errors or omissions in the content of this podcast. The information contained in this podcast is provided on an as-is basis with no guarantee of completeness, accuracy, usefulness, or timeliness. The opinions and recommendations expressed in this podcast are those of the discussants and not of any organization.